0: Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. Corey Elland is away today. The world's oldest woman, who passed away at the ripe old age of 125, gave credit for her longevity to daily use of cannabis and palm leaf wine, which is common in her native India. As the stigma against cannabis is slowly being eroded, more and more seniors are using cannabis to supplement or replace prescription drugs. Today we're talking to a man whose elderly mother takes cannabis and is better for it. And joining us from Ottawa, Canada, is Louis Berry. Louis, thanks very much for doing this. Thank you, Ian. It's certainly a pleasure to
1: join you today. Tell us the story of how your mother got involved with cannabis. Well, my mother became involved with cannabis because she had uh, come down with a very severe case of shingles. This is now going back about uh, two and a half years ago. And it was so severe at the time that... It was on her face and in her ear and in her mouth, and she couldn't uh, wear her false teeth. She couldn't put makeup on. Uh, Really, she couldn't put anything on her face except water. So you can imagine how upsetting that was both to be living with that amount of pain and the effect that that would have on the quality of her life. So for many months, she struggled with that, um, with some amount of success with uh, other medications that she was on. She did not want to take opiates and other narcotics or or, uh, hydromorphine, for example, And so she was living with that very severe pain and The option uh, came up in the context of also my father's situation to have uh, a cannabis oil as an option uh, to treat the pain and it worked. It worked right away. It didn't completely take away the pain at that time but it significantly reduced the pain and for her it made a very important difference in her ability to both manage that pain and maintain a quality of life that was not interrupted so badly by the pain that she was still uh, experiencing. She's one of the few people who has a permanent nerve damage as a result of shingles. So it's a a condition that she lives with and probably will live with for the rest of her life. And, you know, since taking cannabis, she's not, uh, she's able to sleep through the night and uh, able to sort of take the, um, take away that pain. How old is your mother? Uh, She's 80 now. And I was chuckling when you referred to her as an elderly woman, because my mother would, uh, hates the thought of her age and uh, and takes pride in the fact that she feels youthful and, and certainly doesn't feel her age. So she's 80 now. She was 79 when she began to, to, uh, to take cannabis.
0: Well, I didn't mean to uh, use that in a pejorative sense. Of course not. <laughs> yeah. No, anyone who does what your mother does at the age of 80 is really young at heart.
1: It's exactly. Fa- it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Now, how did she react to using the cannabis initially?
1: Well, when she first started using it, she used two things. She tried uh, an oil product, and um, she it didn't. She didn't react very well to that. She did not like the oil. Like when she took it orally, it gave her a headache, and uh, she didn't like it. So she began to use it topically with the oil infused into a lotion, and that's what worked very well for her. She had absolutely no side effects, and it took away the pain substantively. So. I think as soon as, you know, really the first day when she uh, caught on to this idea that she could use it infused in, in a lotion, that was a, a sort of a no going back moment because she realized at that point that she had something that was working, which was so important for her.
0: Lewis, what was her attitude t- toward cannabis prior to trying it?
1: Well, I think if she was like many people of her generation. She was very reluctant because she had her own sort of notions or stereotypes about what that would mean. And what people would think if they found out about it. You know, I think that that was very typical. She still has some sensitivity around that because people do carry a lot of myths and, and judgments around it. And there's no reason for people to really know uh, what, uh, that she's using it. But fundamentally, it works for her. And so at the end of the day, that's what's most important. And she, she has no personal issues uh, with using it at this point at all.
0: Did she notice any other changes besides uh, helping her shingles as a
1: result of using this cannabis lotion? I I don't think so. I mean, to be honest, I think that was the key thing, uh, that, that was her key motivation for using the product, and that's where she saw the results. Now, did you notice any
0: changes in her when she started using it, such as attitude, behavior, things like
1: that? Well, I think the key thing is that when the person is not living with such severe pain, it makes them more at ease and, and able to be um, sort of more content and, and not struggling with that constant pain. So I think that it was nice to see that because her pain was so severe. And uh, it's not nice to have to see somebody live with that. So I think what I would have observed is the fact that her pain wasn't something coming up in conversation all the time, it would come up only if we asked her, but she was managing it, and it was and it was working, and it wasn't it wasn't interfering with her life in the same way anymore.
0: One of the things that those of us who don't deal with pain can't understand is the pain that people go through. And I refer to an interview we did with a woman in Seattle who had MS, and she says the pain is all-consuming. It just controls every waking moment for her. And the use of cannabis has relieved that pain somewhat. And it's probably the same situation with your mother
1: absolutely i think you know the pain is at the very least it's a distraction and at worst it's debilitating so for her it was often somewhere on that scale and now that it's properly managed it's not really an issue at all and the good part of the story is that she has more recently begun to take a cbd oil and which she takes systemically so she's not applying it topically she still applies the uh the cannabis infused lotion to her face but she's now taking the cbd oil orally and it has basically taken away all of the pain so which is remarkable because she's now no longer taking uh, advil and tylenol she's and she supplements with the lotion and she still has some medication you know that's that's important because of her shingles condition but basically since she's now on a, a proper Uh, dosage of cbd oil systemically the pain is basically gone and she's not having to uh, she's not losing sleep anymore she's not having to take painkillers in the middle of the night except on an exceptional basis and she tops off with the cannabis the thc infused lotion as she needs to and the two of them together have worked beautifully and the nice thing is that she's not had to live with the pain and she's not had to make the decision to take opiates or some other form of medication that would carry all sorts of other risks and side effects. Was she on other medications prior to taking cannabis? For pain, yes. She's, been, she's tried a number of uh, different medications that were prescribed by her doctor, none of which were, were effective in dealing with them. Now, some of the medications were covered by her, her health insurance, some were not. So, you know, it was frustrating because she was having to try these different medications and not getting proper relief. So now the fact that she's got basically total relief from her pain, given that she's using the combination now of the CBD oil and the THC infused lotion, it's not an issue anymore. Of course, she has to still now pay for the CBD oil. So that's not inexpensive for some people, but it's well worth it because the pain's gone.
0: What would the CBD oil cost in Ottawa? Ottawa.
1: Well, I think the CBD oil from the supplier that uh, the licensed producer she obtains it from is about um, ninety five or about ninety five dollars a bottle, and depending for forty milliliters, and depending upon how much one requires, you know, you could be using anywhere between one and four bottles a month. So, you know, it could be it could be hundreds of dollars a month. Now, for her, she's lucky that a fairly low uh, amount works, and so you know, it probably will end up costing her about $100 a month, and that's well worth it.
0: When she started to get relief by using cannabis, did she
1: say to you, Lewis, why didn't I take this earlier? I'd have to say honestly no, because she wasn't aware of it, and we weren't aware of it, but she was just happy to have it. And I think had she known it was around, or had she declined the option to take that for a year, and not been open to it she would have regretted it but she was very receptive when i suggested to her i think it took a half hour to con- to convince her to consider it because when you lived with extreme pain you'll do almost anything to try to uh, address it
0: try to escape it that's right now you have to tell me the story about your mother skydiving
1: yeah, so, well, I think, you know, one of the things about my mother is that she's, um, she's a very adventuresome lady, and, and um, after the passing of my father about a, uh, a year and a half ago, she sort of embarked on some new adventures, and with each of her grandchildren, she's, she's wanting to do some, uh, some special activities. So this past um, July, she went skydiving with my daughter, who's 19, and it was tandem skydiving outside of Ottawa, so they did a 13,000-foot uh, tandem jump. We got the package where it was all videotaped and put it on Facebook, and it's gone viral with almost ten thousand views. So it's uh, it's really, I think, a testament to how people who want to be vibrant and vital and healthy in their life and active in whatever way is important to them that you know cannabis is one of the, the possibilities to help them with that. And for her, you know, that's some of these adventures that she wants to do with her kids, her grandkids. For somebody else, it might be it might be something. Uh, a different kind of adventure. But certainly she's got that spirit of enthusiasm and uh, is willing to do those kinds of things. You know, I think we should post that, uh, share that video
0: of your mother, because it was marvelous to see a woman of her age, her young age, I should say. Tell her her young age. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> s- Skydiving, because, uh, and one of the things I, did, I didn't I did quite get at the very end, she said,
1: I think she said, God, I was nervous going into the plane. Is that what you? Well, said? she was nervous. It was hard to let go. Getting when when the guy when the fellow she was with was wanting to jump out of the plane. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to let go and and actually jump out of the aircraft. She was great. She was, and you know, she was. She has a great attitude about things like that, and I think she's an inspiration for not just her family but for uh, many of her peers and for uh, many young people as well because she's got that that sense of openness and excitement and willingness to try and do different things, and certainly it's something that we all admire and appreciate about her. Last year she did uh, the the edge walk at the CN Tower, so she did the the walk outside the edge of the CN Tower where you climb out and hang over the edge, and um, that was her first adventure, uh, and this year was her skydiving. So
0: so have you uh, been skydiving yourself?
1: I haven't been, no.
0: <laughs> My
1: cowardly son, she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, she wanted me to go, but I thought, you know, it was a, it was a kind of an experience for uh, for her and my daughter, and um, yeah. and I'll have other opportunities. I have I have a few years behind her to catch up. <laughs> yeah, you do. Now,
0: tell me about your father, who passed away uh, about a year and a half ago, and
1: was he using cannabis as well? So my father, uh, as you say, passed away in April of 2016, and he had been ill for quite a a number of months and um, had been hospitalized in January, and uh, he passed away at at, uh, 88. So uh, he was hospitalized after Christmas because he had fallen and re-injured his back. He had experienced a broken back about 35 years earlier. And so when he was hospitalized, he he was dealing with a lot of pain, from his back and a whole bunch of other issues, because of course at that age he he had a history of heart disease and a form of cancer and, and a number of conditions. So when he was discharged to come home, uh, he was palliative we knew, and he wanted to die at home, and we wanted to be there and support him in doing so. And when he came home, he was of course uh, like many people at that stage of life and with many medical conditions. He was on nearly twenty uh, prescriptions. And three narcotics. And it sounds like a lot, and it is a lot, but it's not actually that uncommon. Uh, what happened was I realized at the time, and with his doctor's support, that cannabis was maybe an option to deal with the pain control, with the anxiety, with some of the other issues that were happening sort of cognitively, um, because he had some stress issues. That's why he was on Hydromorph, an antipsychotic, and anti anxiety medication. And so um, we were able to get him on a cannabis oil. And that oil allowed us to effectively, within not much more than a week, uh, have him no longer taking the uh, hydromorph, the morphine, the uh, anti-anxiety medication, and the antipsychotic medication. And it was really a remarkable, uh, positive experience.
0: What was it like for him, knowing that he
1: was going to die? Well, you know what, I think it... it my father was a very kind of spiritually resolved man, and um, I don't think most people want to die. But he embraced that whole process, and he was with the family in the best way he could be for as long as he could be. And we were obviously very fortunate to be able to have that time with him. And uh, he was a very open uh, man when it came to different kinds of you know treatments that might help him. And so we felt comfortable that cannabis was a solution, you know, an option. And especially considering that he was on so many other medications and that those were affecting his ability to think and clearly and, you know, had all sorts of side effects. So, you know, he, it was a decision that I think we felt was the right decision for him and one that worked out very well.
0: When he was on cannabis and he was near the end, was his quality of life, did his quality of life improve?
1: Yes. Well, I think, you know, as you can imagine, anybody who's taking, um, you know, some form of morphine and anti-anxiety medication, like benzodiazepams or antipsychotics uh, medication, they're not able to think clearly. They're in, in that sort of that drugged, mentally drugged state. And when we were able to get them off of that, I say that in many respects we had our father back because – he was. He still had no memory because he had severe dementia. So it's not like he could remember more than one minute in the past and one minute in the future. But he was clear thinking. So he was. He was present in the moment and with us. And we. And he was aware that we were with him. So what happened was we were. No, he was no longer in that uh, state of being kind of medicated in a way that traditionally many people or seniors at their, at their end of life would be, and he was not experiencing pain because from the moment he started taking the the cannabis oil the pain was gone the pain was managed very quickly the sleep he was sleeping he had uh, the anxiety was gone and so it didn't it we had to take him off some other medication again with the support of a physician and a nurse so we did that in a guided way and that's so important but you know after a week or 10 days he was he was clear of those kind of medications that would that would interfere with his sort of his some of his thinking to the limit extent that he was that he could think at that stage and so his quality of life was much better because he was able to interact in conversations he was able to be fully observant about what was going on and he was able to uh, to enjoy and appreciate the people and the love around him
0: Lewis, your parents were of the first generation to go through the stigmatization of cannabis. And I'm wondering, with your parents' use of cannabis,
1: did that have any influence on your views of it? Well, absolutely. Because I think for uh, for me, having uh, worked in the health system for most of my career, almost 30 years, it was so compelling for me to see how effective cannabis could be. In treating both my father in that end stage of his life, and um, make that a much easier process for him, and in treating my mother, who's still a vibrant uh, woman who wants to be a vi- who wants to be vital and vibrant and do exciting things, in both of those scenarios, the cannabis was a, uh, a significant um, factor in improving their quality of life, and so it was so convincing for me that I switched most of my consulting practice into the cannabis sector because I thought there's really something here that as a, as a health system and a medical community, uh, that the medical community needs to recognize that we have to get past our hang-ups about this, our myths and our conceptions, uh, preconceptions about it, and see that there's something very, very, potentially very, very useful for people that can fundamentally uh, make people's lives better, and that said, it's nothing is without uh, consequence, and you know we need to better understand it. So, you know, we need to take an objective view of all of it. But my personal experience was very, very positive and compelling. Tell us about your company, Canab Intel. What does it do? Canab Intel. So I work with um, primarily with policymakers and businesses in the cannabis space and healthcare practitioners. I was focusing primarily in the medical cannabis space because my intention was to help sort of facilitate that agenda, and I'm more recently working more broadly within the recreational space as well. For me, having a health care or a health system background, it's really looking at cannabis from a health perspective and a public health perspective, so I'm not advocating for the use of cannabis for recreational purposes so much as I am saying that you know, it has a place medically, and if it's being consumed recreationally, we need to be as informed as possible and responsible and all those good things. So I now work in that space with, um, with uh, policymakers and educators and, and um, businesses and less with the public, although I do have some information on my website for public as well. And I have links to research resources and places where you can find contact information and, and um, information to work with, I guess. Have you learned
0: anything about cannabis from your daughter?
1: Well, my 19-year-old daughter, I think, you know, like many uh, teenagers, is exposed to it. And I think it's, uh, I'm not sure what I've learned from her per se. I think what, what has happened as a result of the experience with my uh, my parents uh, is that the con- the conversation has been opened up. The ability to have an open dialogue with her uh, about, you know, what cannabis means for her as a young adult and, you know, what its place might be in from a medical perspective or recreationally at different stages of life, I think it's opened up that dialogue. My exposure has caused me to be um, any of the issues I had or myths or preconceptions or hangups to be neutralized. So I'm much more able to have those conversations in a balanced way. And I think in a, in a properly informed way and have those with her.
0: Louis, you and I are the same generation, and I don't think there would be any difference in our opinion. My view of cannabis prior to interviewing Corey when I was in commercial radio, my view of cannabis was that it was strictly from the recreation side. I didn't know that much about how cannabis can benefit us medically. And once I learned that, I did a 180 because I think this is a very, very – powerful, safe medication, which and I think it's going to take generations before it is truly accepted by the medical community.
1: I absolutely 100% agree with you, and I think it will take many years, um, and it will be decades as we continue to understand the absolute power and potential for cannabis as a medication. The science is just beginning. I mean, there's a lot of science now, but we're going to have... Exponentially more science within the next five and ten years, and we're going to be doing things with, I believe, with cannabis that we've not imagined. Some of the research that's uh, that's coming out now and the preclinical trials that show the potential effectiveness for treatment of stroke recovery and and uh, you know all sorts of areas that that are hugely significant for people who've experienced severe trauma in their lives, and and so. There's a huge, I think, a huge potential opportunity there. And certainly my eyes have been open to that, and I'm, I'm a very strong believer in that. And I think at the same time, we need to elevate the level of sort of solid understanding and facts across the board. Because the flip side of this is there's a lot of people who will say cannabis has no side effects, it'll never hurt you. And in reality, that's not entirely true either. They'll say nobody ever died of cannabis. It depends how you think about it, but many people have been in and it's because of cannabis and have died. And I know from my father that if you take too much cannabis, you can't stand up the next morning, and you could still fall and die because you were you were effectively stoned. So, you know, I think we need to look at cannabis in a much more objective way. And hopefully, and I know it will, the, the literature and the scientific evidence will, will evolve because there's a huge movement toward that now at every level. And uh, we see that at all levels of the population, including seniors.
0: What do you think is going to happen in on July 1st of 2018 when cannabis is legalized both medically and
1: recreationally in Canada. Well, I think uh, my assumption and my hope would be that there's a lot of public education that occurs before then and that it actually is legalized on a day other than July 1st and that um, in many respects it'll I think it'll be a it will be a, le- a day like no other and there's in the sense that many people are already using cannabis there'll be a few more um But I really hope that there is a public education campaign before then so that people who are considering using it and those who use it now are more educated than they are now. They're informed about, you know, if you're going to use it, don't drive. If you're going to use it, this is what to expect. All those kinds of of considerations because truthfully there's been very very little uh really good public education concerning cannabis for the last number of decades so i hope that come the date of legalization that it will be on the heels of some really good public education and that that transition into a uh, a recreational legal uh regime or market will be one that will be not carrying with it a lot of negative consequences whether it's people being stoned in the park and annoying their neighbors or people getting into car accidents. And I think what we've seen in some jurisdictions is that where that public education didn't occur, there was a blip of sort of negative, um, uh, not side effects, but negative consequences. I'm hoping that in Canada we can avoid that.
0: Why do you say a day other than July 1st, which is Canada Day, which is the equivalent of July 4th in the
1: United States? Why Why do you say a different day? I think that there's enough going on on Canada Day. The last thing we would want to do is sort of introduce, you know, a bunch of new cannabis smokers or ex- existing cannabis smokers into the Canada Day parties across the country at, at Parliament Hill or in the par- in, across the country. Because I think when it is introduced, there's going to come with it a transition period for law enforcement and, and you know, where can you consume and not consume and where can you smoke and not smoke and where can you vape and not vape and where can you use... a so all of those kinds of things, and I think that that transition period is going to be a bit bumpy, and it's better to occur separate from what is already a major public event. So my personal, you know, advice if I were advising policymakers would be to do it before or after July first.
0: Louis, your background is in healthcare, and one of the things that I've noticed in talking to experts in this field is that the doctors and the medical professionals in the healthcare industry are really ignorant of the use of cannabis totally ignorant and some of them are very resistant to its use
1: what's your view absolutely and i think that's understandable but i don't think it's excusable to be quite frank about it i think that the the um on one hand i appreciate that there that there needs to be you know traditional scientific support and all those kinds of things and we know that we don't have enough of that and so i get that that you know, the cannabis doesn't fit neatly into the existing kind of evidence paradigm that uh, that underpins established medical practice. Having said that, the potential to help people like my mother or my father is so significant or the potential to help people like children who are having seizures, uh, multiple or hundreds of seizures a day is so significant that my personal view is that it's irresponsible f- or, or unethical for physicians not to consider enabling patients to use or consider cannabis as a medical treatment. So if they're not personally comfortable prescribing, and I get that they would not be because until even now, it's, there aren't really well-established guidelines around prescribing, but increasingly there are. At this stage, there's more and more cannabinoid uh, practices or cannabis clinics where there are specialists and in most major centers it's possible for physicians to make those referrals and i think you know it's really incumbent upon all physicians to to challenge their own beliefs and to say okay i know i was never taught about the endoc- endocannabinoid system when i went to medical school 30 years ago but i can't i can't deny this potential solution to my patients and that's the challenge uh that i put forth on a regular basis to the people in the healthcare system including physicians that I come into contact with, it's important to be able to improve the quality of life for Canadians and for patients and and people.
0: Now, your mother, does she share her cannabis use with others?
1: She doesn't share her, her cannabis. uh, And she doesn't really tell anybody about her cannabis use. You know, she's even somewhat, I think, uncomfortable about the fact that we're having this conversation to some extent. Um, But she knows that it, it works and she knows that the bigger cause here is worth the discussion. And so in the small town where she lives, you know, it's not something that she talks to people about. Um, there's no need for her to talk to people about it. She has no duty to explain that to anybody or to justify her choices. The fact of the matter is that she's the one living with the severe pain and this works for her. And at the end of the day, um, nothing else matters. And she doesn't feel compelled uh, or doesn't want to have to explain that to people.
0: What's on her bucket list
1: next? Well, um... One of the things on her bucket list is to do something with each of her grandchildren. So she has a younger granddaughter who wants to go zip lining, so they've got that uh, being planned. She's got an, another younger granddaughter who wants to go skydiving, so she's probably going to be going skydiving again in um, in Toronto the next time she's out east. She's not completely convinced she wants to do a thirteen thousand foot jump with uh, with a twenty five second free fall at uh, one hundred and twenty miles an hour because that's a bit of a out kind of an aggressive experience. But she certainly is very open to doing this skydiving again with her uh, her second granddaughter. And she's in discussion with my uh, her grandson, uh, one of my nephews, about what kind of an adventure they're going to do together. And she wants to travel, so she wants to go to New York City. And uh, so she's renewed her passport and maybe to Vegas. And I think she's at that stage of life when you've got uh, health and energy, enthusiasm and interest and a passion and an openness and a an willingness to do things that you ought to do them. There's no purpose in waiting. So, she's taking that approach. She's vibrant, isn't she? Yeah, she's a very active woman. She's got a huge corner lot in the little small town where she lives, where she has this big garden, and she usually gets first or sec- second prize for the Christmas lights and Christmas time. Uh, so she takes great pride in her in her yard and her uh, and is one of those people who's just constantly going and very much. Um, very hospitable and her home is always open to people coming and going and and that's what we want for seniors that's and I think that's one of the things I wanted to talk about with you is that you know cannabis is one of the things that can help seniors really maintain that quality of life that's important to them and it doesn't have to be skydiving or jumping or going over the edge of the CN tower it's really about whatever is important to uh, each individual uh, person. And, you know, cannabis is is one option that I think has both that very strong uh, benefit with potentially very few side or no side effects. And, and you know, that's why it's so important to, to I think, to promote it. Louis, a wonderful story
0: about your mother. Anything you'd like to say in conclusion?
1: Uh, no, just that, that one of the things that I realized as well is that, you know, with People taking prescription medication in seniors, and with the children around, is important for people to to make sure that they're they're keeping their medications protected and locked up. One of the things that I've also done is sort of started a company that sells uh, locking solutions or locking cases and bags for prescription medication and medical cannabis, because I think as we see people who are using these serious medications it's important to keep people safe all the time whether it's keeping the kids out of people's you know the cannabis or medication so i do have a a company called lockmygoods.com and that's um offers uh consumers a place to to purchase uh, a way to lock up their medication if anybody's interested in that lewis a pleasure to talk to you thanks very much for doing this thank you ian it's been an absolute pleasure i've been following your podcast for some time and uh and it's always very informative and, and highly appreciated you do great work Thanks very much. Thank you. And we're always looking for
0: people to tell their story about the medical use of cannabis. If you'd like to tell your story, send us an email at info@cannabishealthradio.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.